for July 26th, 2021. It's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 682. If Warner Brothers is God, which I think they think they are... This is the Overthinking It podcast, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. The Overthinkers are your smart, funny friends from the internet, never happier than when we are talking about the things that we love, talking about the things we watch, we listen to, we read, uh, things that we experience, uh, we bring them to each other, and it's like we experience them again. I'm Matt Rather, that's Pete Fenzel. Pete, come on and slam. And welcome to the jam. Indeed. <laughs> the day has come. The day everyone has long awaited for no reason is finally here. We, we, we've, we've teased this for like four weeks now. <laughs> Let's yes. talk about Space Jam. It's on HBO Max. This is also, this is also an episode in the miniseries or the, you know, what do you call them? The kind of the ongoing, you know, the ongoing, um, kind of occasional uh, topics that that we do in the uh, watch what's on HBO max one, but this is a new movie. Yeah, it's true. It's not uh, going yeah. back into the, into the Warner's catalog. And yet I and feel yes. like I saw, I saw more of Ca- Casablanca when I was watching space jam than I have <laughs> since the last time I watched Casablanca when I was like in college or something and was like, no, no, this is, this is really what I like instead of the matrix. You know, this is real cinema, you know, that's, yeah, uh, yeah, but sure, you know what is sure. real cinema? It's, uh, it's LeBron James space dunking a space basketball, uh, on a space basketball court while his space son, you know, plays for the other team. I don't, I don't even know. Pete, this is a, this, this is a, I'm not even sure. Well, you know, the, it seems like the Looney Tunes think it is in continuity with the first Space Jam. Like they, yes! the, you know, they Which are was the most shocking thing. <laughs> so I wouldn't call it a remake. I, it's not a re, maybe a reboot or something, but Pete, you know, obviously I know this. Obviously I know this, but I'm wondering if you could explain because there may be listeners who don't know, though. Obvi- I mean, I could do it myself, but it, you know, it should be. I yield to you. Um, could, could you explain, uh, the state of the Space Jam extended universe as we find it? In, uh, you know, at the, at the beginning of the film, like what happened to these Looney Tunes the last time they answered the call to, to play some basketball with, sure. a, with an NBA star? Right. So last time, and, and again, this is not going to be a hyper factual recollection of all the events of the previous Space Jam, but there was some aliens that what came to Earth, right? And they challenged the Got Looney it. Okay, Tunes so those, to a basketball those game. Those aliens yeah. came from space, Pete. Is that – sorry, is that – I didn't I mean to interrupt. I believe so. Okay. They might have come from cartoon space, but they came from space nonetheless. Got yes. it. So outside, you know, farther than either Richard Branson or Jeff Bezos managed to, to penetrate – Right. Uh, into, yes. into the outer atmosphere. Yes. Aliens came. So hence the name Space Jam, because they are from space and presumably they like uh, preserving fruit. Right. Yes, exactly. They call it space jelly, but uh, it doesn't have as much gelatin in it. I'm not sure what the difference is. What is the difference between jam and jelly? That's a good question. I, th- I thought that that jam is chunkier and jelly is like strained and is... Jelly oh. is just like a jiggly, you know, is just like a kind of jiggly jello and jam. But uh, I'm I'm sure someone can set us straight in the comments on that. I think one. The, the appropriate name for this movie is more of a space marmalade uh-huh. because it has that zesty spice of having the rind chewed up and and included mm-hmm. in the movie as well. Mm-hmm. So at any rate, right, Space Jam the first 
is about aliens who challenge uh, the Looney Tunes to a game of basketball and the Looney Tunes bring in uh, and they and they steal the the talent of several of the NBA's top players and Sean Bradley. Mm. Uh, and um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and then the Looney Tunes recruit uh, three human beings. Michael Jordan, Bill Murray, and Wayne Knight. Not in, yes, in that order, <laughs> uh, but mostly Michael Jordan to save the world by going up against these aliens in basketball. That is not a particularly accurate or precise. Uh, your 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 eighth grade the science teacher will be glad to know that you don't have to guess wrong as to the precision or accuracy of that description. It is fuzzy on both ends. Um, but that's sort of what happens in the first Space Jam movie. The second Space Jam movie. Got it. Right. So the second Space Jam movie does not involve space. No. Um, it involves the 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 virtual, the information superhighway. It it almost entirely takes place within a central database that I guess the Time Warner. I don't even know what company it is now, but the Time Warner company, right? The sort of Warner Brothers, whatever company has the WB at this point, right? Sure. Uh, is it has a database where presumably they keep all of the masters information, the marketing, the possible sequels and reboots, and their uh, streaming algorithms, which determine what people want to watch. They're not just streaming algorithms. They're also algorithms that are used to generate, I think, feature films and other sorts of things. Um, and they have consolidated or, or kind of uh, become sentient as one being, who is Don Cheadle, yep. who has an enormous part of this movie, right? And so like, all of the who is excellent, by the way, considering oh, yeah. that he stood alone in an empty warehouse and yes. made the movie happen around him. And then it was all painted in later with computers. The 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 fact that like the, this movie isn't just called giant robot Don Cheadle. Yep. Like or even just like beefy robot Don Cheadle. The moment where Don Cheadle goes from being a computer superimposed figure to a computer generated figure and also gains about 250 pounds of pure muscle yes is is, is really kind of a profound moment in this movie uh for a variety like like did i did i want to see plausibly huge don Cheadle? right like uh i mean now i have you know and, yeah. and uh, i hope it doesn't awaken anything it's, in me it's like the un uh, it's like the uncanny valley of swole yeah, exactly. He's just super he's just super beefy and his head is on swole too. Um but yes, Don Cheadle is in a lot of this movie. He does a really good job. He is his character is complex and petty and 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 whereas people in the movie are constantly understating the complexity of what's happening in order to try to urge the movie toward a comprehensible conclusion, right? Like people keep saying I need to I, you know, LeBron is like, I need to win a basketball game to save my son. And it's like, well, right, like you need to win a basketball game because Warner Brothers didn't respect the opinion of their algorithm and making programming decisions uh. and threatened to like like deprioritize it in funding. And it was like personally insulted. And so it decided to kind of plug that psychological hole by becoming a surrogate father to LeBron James's child. And it, it's just it's like really complicated. Right. But anyway. Um, the idea here is that this algorithm having been slighted, right, this algorithm decides that, that LeBron James needs to be a Warner Brothers property, that he basically needs to be scanned into the database of intellectual property so he can be used, his likeness can be used in all sorts of different sorts of projects. Because people love LeBron James, the algorithm knows this, right? Mm -hmm. um, and when this program, when this sort of pitch fails – the algorithm is so peeved by the rejection that it uh, 
organizes a basketball game mm-hmm. <laughs> to, and, and threatens to like digitize and absorb a non-specifically large portion of the human population yeah. drawn at random or not from all over the world, including LeBron James's family. Uh, you know, and, and but also like a whole bunch of other people. So this this is basically like Narnia rules, or I don't even know what to call it. Maybe like bed knobs and broomsticks rules. Okay, like, okay, okay. Where you can like jump into the the altered reality. You know, you can sort yes, of jump yes, into, yes. and there's like, and the portal happens to be in the server room deep beneath oh. the uh, Warner Brothers studio lot. In Burbank, California. <laughs> <laughs> I like how we're explaining this with the assumption so, that no one is watching this movie. Right. So let me let me let me just explain. Okay. You take okay. the ten, right? <laughs> right. What are you doing here? Now you can do a co- you can do a couple things from that point when you when you take the ten. You can go north on the one ten, which is California Route one ten, and not Interstate one ten at that at that point. Interestingly, now. When, when, uh, Judge Doom in Who Framed Roger Rabbit says eight lanes of shimmering cement running from here to Pasadena, it is in fact California Route 110 that he is talking about. Oh. And then from there, you, uh, you get on the, uh, get on the 101, U.S. Highway 101, which goes up the, uh, Pacific Coast the same way that U.S. Highway 1 goes up the Atlantic Coast, right? You get on that. And then you get off at Barham. Okay. You turn right and you, you kind of head through the hills. You go past a, a notable cemetery and then you get to the Warner's lot. It looks like a fortress. There's a wall all around it with, with, uh, with movie posters there yeah. and, and deep beneath that specific spot in, in the world. Right. Right. Um, sorry, I could have gone, gone harder with the, the alliteration. That specific spot specifically servers. <laughs> it doesn't count as alliteration if you just use the same word twice. Servers <laughs> sit <Yes>. silently. <laughs> Silently sizzling. <laughs> right. And uh, in, you know, basement level 12, not a thing. We don't have basements on the West Coast. It's a desert here. You can't, you just can't dig that deep. Um, in the, the B12 level, there is a, not, not as you might imagine, an energy producing vitamin. No, there is a, uh, a server room and you go in and in there you can bed knobs and broomsticks yourself into the, the, uh, the animated reality. Now, Pete, I, you said you don't even know who they are. Um, I wanna, I wanna just set this straight because I, I was led to research this while you were explaining the pro- plot. Uh, Warner Animation Group. Yes. Uh, formerly Warner Brothers Feature Animation. Okay. Is, is a division, a division okay. of, right. uh, Warner Brothers Entertainment Inc. Right. Uh, commonly known as Warner Brothers or abbreviated uh, WB. Now, right. that entity, right, uh, is a subsidiary. Okay. It is a subsidiary of Warner Media Studios and Networks. Okay. Uh, formerly Warner Communications Inc. Time Warner is also a predecessor organization to that. AOL Time Warner or Time Warner Inc. Uh, but then since 2018, Warner Media. Uh, Warner Media LLC doing business as Warner Media 
is the holding company of Warner Media Studios and Networks. Sorry. Right. Now that which which is like pertinent information sort of for this movie. Right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, so that that uh that in its Wikipedia like info box that's on the you know the right hand side of the webpage um has not a uh not a an entry called corporate parent or not a uh not an entry called like I don't know uh, type subsidiary type division it has an entry called fate. <laughs> <laughs> and but, so but Matt, there's no faith in what we make. I know it's the Terminator is part it's of what this. you thought. So the, the fate of Warner media LLC, uh, DBA Warner media, the holding company of Warner media studios and networks is right. that it is to be merged with discovery Inc to form right. Warner brothers discovery. Right. To form a delicious pulled pork sandwich with a jalapeno brine slaw, which is going to be consumed by Guy Fieri whole as he merges into the being of his his full form. Now, now I know what you're thinking. This is a limited liability company and the successor entity is going to be a C-Corp. And that there's there must be all kinds of paperwork that you have to do to make that happen. I'm just thinking how much more people like to watch sandwiches than original content. (laughs) (laughs) But Pete, I wish they could have held this movie for a couple of years till after. Oh yeah. After the merger, because if, if there was one thing, if there was one land, one (laughs) planet unrepresented, you know where I'm going with this? Are you talking about how it's it's shark week? No, I'm I'm, I'm saying if there's one, Oh, let's say town. Oh, a municipality, right? <laughs> One municipality, a polis. <laughs> an entertainment polis, right? That should be in this kind of like representational galaxy of different planets right. that represent the different, you know, continuities, yeah. franchises, media universes uh, under the banner of Warner Media LLC, the holding company of Warner Media Studios and Networks, uh, who has a subsidiary called Warner Brothers Inc. Uh, with a division called Warner Animation Group. Yes. As we've established, it is Flavortown. Yes, <laughs> this, yes, yes. You know, I wish, I it would wish. be great if Flavortown were in this movie. Instead, like, Magilla Gorilla or whatever. Is in- <laughs> <laughs> it's like, so, I mean, okay. So the thing that everybody knows about this movie. Okay, I, when I've been describing this movie to people, because I think this movie is really complicated. <laughs> what I've been describing it is as I've been giving the sort of surface level description that everybody's been saying, which is generally, like, a way to damn it. Right. Uh-huh. And I've been offering three provisos. Right. Which I experienced watching the movie that that detract or that sort of offset or subtract from this sort of MO. Right. Mm-hmm. And the MO of this movie is as a triumph, a parade of all the intellectual property of this faded media holding corporation as it begins to be eaten by the shark week shark of discovery channel. Right. Mm. And like merged with Guy Fieri's flavor town and swirled around with a whole bunch of shows about ghosts. And then you're going to come out the other side with some new thing. But this is the sort of like, there's just throngs of spectators at the basketball game dressed like all sorts of characters from old Warner brothers movies, you know, famously the droogs from a clockwork orange are in it, but Mm. Pepe Le Pew is not because Pepe Le Pew doesn't behave himself. Uh, and, and, you know, these are like what everybody talked about, right? It's like, but the, uh, there's, there's, the droogs yeah. do. Yeah. There you we know. go. Hyper-vi- uh, hyperviolence is okay, yeah. but interspecies relationships are, are where we draw the line as a corporate entity. To the extent that there is a space 
in which to jam or across which to jam, right? Or each across which to seek jamage, right? Uh, it is this these uh, constructs of planets associated with, for lack of a better term, franchises or brands within the larger intellectual property. Um, and, and, and there's a there's a sort of montage of LeBron James going to all these places to try to recruit people, you know, from the Warner's body of work to play basketball against the bad guys, against Don Cheadle. Right. Mm -hmm. And so like so so there were three provisos against this idea that this is just a a sort of paper thin space jam pretense to like do a whole bunch of sight gags of like LeBron James dressed like Neo for the matrix, LeBron James dressed like Rick from Casablanca, right? Like LeBron James is a Looney tune, right? And they mm -hmm. all show up at the end and they all play basketball, right? The three detractions, we already mentioned one, which is that Don Cheadle has a large and emotionally complex part in this movie as a petty evil computer with, with really rich and detailed motivations that seem to shift gradually and have a real arc. One that sort of leaves from the foul line and kind of goes up <laughs> when it's tongue sticking out, right? As it descends towards towards the basket. This is not a movie about LeBron James not being Michael Jordan. This is a movie about Don Cheadle not being Michael Jordan. Sure. <laughs> and, 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 that, and so I think you need to appreciate Don Cheadle's character and his sense, his sort of self-obsession as the, the sort of sentient emergent uh, genie of all of the Warner Brothers domestic property or like intellectual property, right? So that's that's proviso one, right? Proviso two is that Bugs Bunny <laughs> also has a very complicated part of this movie with a lot of emotional complexity, oh, right? Yeah. <laughs> like including, let's just say it, his death. Right. Right. The death of Bugs Bunny takes place in this movie, and they try to pretend like it doesn't, but it does. No, I haven't but, cried this much at a cartoon death since South Park Bigger, Longer, and Uncut. <laughs> but Bugs Bunny remembers. So because the basketball game in the first Space Jam movie took place in the Toon universe, only Michael Jordan, Wayne Knight, and Bill Murray know that it happened. And Michael Jordan and Bill Murray aren't talking about it, and nobody's listening to Wayne Knight, I'm sure. But no, they don't appear in this movie. Um, and so, but, but Bugs Bunny really likes Space Jam. He liked the experience of playing the basketball game. Mm. And so when he finds out that Don Cheadle is challenging LeBron James to a basketball game, yeah. he sees this as an opportunity to relive the team, uh, the team spirit and the, and the team unity and really just the assembly of all of his old friends that he experienced the old Space Jam, uh, but he doesn't tell LeBron James about it. Like LeBron James does not know that the first Space Jam existed, that this isn't the first time that this has happened. So a big chunk of the movie is about Bugs Bunny emotionally manipulating LeBron James into recreating the team from the original Space Jam. Right, he wants to get he, the gang yeah. back together. Yeah, but 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 it's like this weird sort of passive aggressive misdirection and it's a bunch of lies and somewhere along the way it's not played for laughs. Like LeBron James knows he's being BS'd and he gets like visibly upset about it, right? Like in the course of the movie. Uh, which really gets to the third proviso, which I'll say right now, which is that LeBron James is it, there's a lot in this movie that's invested into a very psychodramatic naturalist realist approach to portraying lebron james as a bad father and like and 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 we don't really have a reason to believe that he actually is a bad father i would even say more generally like uh just to step back from that a tiny bit there is a family life of lebron james that is conjured in this movie 
that is put forward as if it might be his actual real life family life. And LeBron James is acting in performance style, does not wink at the camera or tip a hat or anything about any of it being made up. Mm-hmm. Right. So there's this idea in this movie that LeBron James is like a domineering and maybe he is a domineering, myopic, immature, uh, uh, basketball obsessed, distant father who cannot appreciate that his younger but not youngest son, right, is like a talented and skilled computer programmer right. of like a very high order, like one of the best computer programmers and game designers of his age group. Second right? only to John, Don Cheadle. Right, exactly. Like, like to the extent that so like so like LeBron James is like doesn't really respect his son because he wants to uh, participate in a highly prestigious computer programming internship camp. Right. Rather than go to basketball camp, uh, which you would have guessed because he's short and out of shape. He does not want to do right. Like um, but LeBron James assumes that's what he's going to want to do, because this is a movie that is like Tron and like Hook. As mm-hmm. Blinky said, right? But LeBron James doesn't play it for laughs. It's like straight, right? So like the whole drama of like LeBron James is showing everybody that he's like has real anxiety about being a bad father and, and a domineering father and a cruel father and a, and a distant and unlistening father. And then when Don Cheadle plays Dustin Hoffman, Captain Hook, and like scoops his son up and provides him with the validation and environment that LeBron James can't or won't. There's like I won't say it's real pathos, but there is like disorienting feels right as as regards to said basketball game against computer generated aliens that aren't aliens. Right. Yeah, like, let's, let's pause. Let's pause here for a second, because I think this okay. is worth unpacking. And and okay. one thing I, you know, I want to say is that when when LeBron uh, when his NBA career comes to an end, whenever you know that happens in in the natural course of things, um, he he has a plausible shot at a second career as a very likable sort of leading man in yeah. in these kind of like light you know comedic draw in like dramedy or you know these mm-hmm. sort of light like comedic things like he's charismatic he's personable he's you know uh, uh, things that you'd expect a, a kind of media superstar like an athlete to be but not but even more than he would have to be given his you know uh given his day job <laughs> the weirdest a- thing about this movie is that it isn't absurd that lebron james is starring in it which is sort of the point of Space Jam, yeah. Which is that it's absurd, right? And 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 sorry, I'm getting ahead of it. I interrupted. No, but that's um, yeah, that's the you know, right. And then the other the other thing is that the the sort of Oedipal, um plot or the I guess the family romance plot, I guess more more precisely is. Uh, in is in a different register entirely than yes. the things that you like really appreciate and enjoy about this about watching this movie. Not not that yeah. it's not it's not a bad movie. It, you know, it's a good movie about like a, you know family conflicts. It's about class. It's about uh, you know parents and children, fathers and sons growing mm-hmm. up. Like the 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 legacy of a rough upbringing and like how how you transcend that it's just not this movie it's a different movie (laughs) that is you know uh that is concerned with all of those things and when it when it like uh you know i don't know like a like a flower in the sidewalk or something when it when it bursts through the cracks it is a slightly disorienting thing to see precisely because as you know as you in my view correctly say precisely because it's it's good it's done well 
Um, yeah, yeah, you like the family plot. Yeah. Yeah, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh man, Rick and Morty show up with the Tasmanian devil. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not that funny, right? Like it's funny, but it's like, but because we don't have that kind of winking, right, sense that what's going on is absurd, it's like, it, it's jarring. It's not always as funny as it should be. But yeah, exactly. Um, but it's funny. I don't know. What was your favorite joke in the movie? Um, God, that's uh, like my my. F- Cause or what, gag, I should say. Yeah, that's because like gag. the thing that that's exactly the word I was going to say because like it wasn't like there was I guess like Lil Rel was the announcer and like he had some funny joke jokes, but it okay, was okay. So you know who that other guy was? Is a I, honest to goodness sports announcer, right? From sports. Lil Rel? No. Okay. Little oh Lil Rel? No, it's a stand up comedian. Yeah, because I know who Ernie Johnson is. Okay, you know Ernie that- Johnson is the is the leader is the sort of unofficial floor captain of the inside guys and does NBA commentary with uh, Shaquille O'Neal, Charles Barkley, and Kenny the Jet Smith, and sometimes Draymond Green. Right, um, Ernie Johnson is a legend. Ernie the Elevator Johnson is great, and I was so pleased to see him in this movie, but I didn't know who Lil Rel was. He's a, a stand-up comedian and also an actor. He's been in in like movies and TV shows and stuff, but he has a. Um... He has a uh, some stand-up specials that are that are uh, really good um, okay. that I have enjoyed, but I I you know commend I commend to you. And he does I, I, um, yeah. he he also does like what one of the things at least that I thought was kind of a hallmark of the style when I saw the specials was he does characters like he does these like kind of elaborate caricatures of people he grew up with, you know, and like um, does like voices and and uh, act outs in his stand-up comedy in his stand-up comedy act. But yeah, so he came he came out of the entertainment world so he was there to be the the color commentator you know right 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 and so like it's weird to see ernie johnson without charles barkley that's probably mm-hmm. who but i guess it couldn't be charles barkley because charles barkley was involved in the events of the first space jam and also he's way too expensive uh but yeah but oh yeah and if you ever want so if you want to know ernie johnson's comedy bits just look up ej's neato stat of the night which are the comedy bits that he would do at the end of or like weird weird things they would do at the end of every show um, okay, cool. So there's weird, quirky announcers. Um, I mean, I guess we should talk about. So your favorite gag was Lil Rel. No, I mean, I was saying oh. he had jokes. Like he he yeah, showed up yeah, with yeah. like jokes. I yeah. Who did I like? Who did I like seeing? I guess for Audacity, the Casablanca one, just because that's mm. kind of like sacred ground cinematically. Like that was the one where I thought they were they were being most audacious. I mean, I guess the one where they were like going the most into R-rated territory was maybe um maybe Mad Max. Uh, they did Mad Max Fury Road. Fury yeah. Road, yeah. Like uh, you know, with the coyote like spray painting the chrome on his mouth and holding up a sign that says witness me. Um <laughs> Yeah, that's uh by, by the way, this is a heartfelt movie about LeBron James being a bad father. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so that i uh maybe that one i don't know in that like there's it's a kind of a substantial chunk of the second act that is taken uh, taken up with like getting the getting the team back together um uh you know i don't know the uh, lola bunny doing the the amazonian um triathlon or whatever it is the yeah you know was was pretty good i don't what what was yours pete Oh, for me, it was definitely the halftime gag because when it started, 
you you had to know it was going to happen, right? Uh-huh. You had to know exactly what was happening during the halftime gag sure. when they roll out the intro music and the lighting and they start talking about number 23 from North Carolina. And, they, and it's like, oh, my God, they're losing by, what, a thousand points at the uh-huh. half, which is another thing we need to talk about. Um, but And then, of course, who shows up to help the team but Michael B. Jordan other than Michael Jordan. Right. And I, I just that see, that's a Space Jam joke. Right. Like that's like that's was so that was absurd enough that it cut through. It was it was absurd enough that it cut through the fat. Because it's a Looney Tunes because that's a Looney Tunes. Yeah, it's a Looney Tunes. Tunes Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I these guys have the same name. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know. The only thing that that's bad about it is that it should have this movie should have had Michael B. Jordan playing basketball. Right. Like, I feel like that would have been funny. Right. And it, it would have followed on from the first movie with Bill Murray playing and everyone would be like, oh, it's Michael Jordan. Right. But they, he just shows up for one scene. And, and then he says, you know, that he was just he was hanging out and he got sucked into his phone or something. And now he's here. Bye. Right. <laughs> but but right. Great. yeah, actually, the bed, the bed knobs and broomsticks power uh, yeah. exists not just in um you know, not just in uh, the uh, server room in the Warner me in the Warner Brothers studio basement. It also actually extends to everybody's phones at some point in this at some point in this film. So, OK, so this movie has a huge problem that I haven't heard anybody talk about. Mm. Huge problem, mm-hmm. which is that why is nobody talking about the huge problem at the heart of Space Jam? Because they forget that this movie is about basketball mm. or fe- or I should say features basketball in any way at all. Mm-hmm. Right. Because um, so and also because people are too obsessed about le- how whether LeBron James is Michael is Michael Jordan or not. Mm-hmm. Right. So, like, I, I think I heard that the director of this movie even disavowed it and said it was bad and said that, like, LeBron James isn't Michael Jordan or something along those lines. Um, of course, he's not Michael Jordan. Right. So, so Matt, let me give you a tiny bit of, of basketball history, right? Okay. Yeah. Tiny bit of basketball history. So, right. um, in back in the day, right in the in the turn of the century, late 1800s, early 1900s, a basketball was played in cages and was a very violent sport that was not really taken seriously by uh, athletics. Uh, it was it was a niche sport. It was a fighting sport, um, and and it was uh, not one that was thought to involve a lot of virtuosity or skill, mm-hmm. right? Um, and then in this, by the time we get to the 50s and 60s, uh, basketball has opened up a lot and has become a very athletic sport that's very fast with people running and shooting and running and shooting, right? But but like it's sort of very back and forth, right? And uh, and so it gets very repetitive, and and so. Um, there's not a ton that stands out from that era other than like a super team winning all of the championships, right? Then you get to the seventies where basketball splits into two different leagues. I think you can argue largely over race Mm -hmm. because the NBA is trying to wrestle with the fact that basketball is like the, you would say the national sport of African, the African-American nation Mm -hmm. to the extent that the African-Americans have a nation basketball is their national sport at this point, but the NBA is not ready to integrate. Uh, let me rephrase the NBA is, is white supremacist, Mm -hmm. right? And and, and also, and does not necessarily want to have all black players. It also doesn't want to have black culture. Mm. Right. And so you have the ABA emerge as a rival league, which has the red, white, and blue ball and Dr. J with the Afro and, and, and has, you know, the commercials have more funk and style and it's supposed to be the one that's expressing black culture. And the NBA isn't right. Cause the NBA has like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar who, while a like 
black intellectual and political activist is a soft-spoken guy who plays a such a dominant style of basketball that it that you know for all all the beauty of watching one skyhook in slow motion when you can just score at will from the post against anybody all the time mm-hmm. like it doesn't make for the most thrilling visual stuff so basketball was not popular people did not watch it right mm. it did not have a ton of popularity aba teams were folding the the leagues eventually merged but it wasn't like anything on par with baseball or or even football or anything even though football was new at that point until you get to magic johnson and larry bird Right. And Showtime and the L.A. Boston rivalry and these sort of fast break, uh, you know, uh, style of play and the dunking. The speed comes back into the game. The, the dominating big men become less of an issue, but also just like the media personalities of basketball players become this big thing. Mm. Right. And Magic Johnson, I think, is really the guy who, who does it more than anybody to start it off. But it all culminates in Michael Jordan, who is the, the sort of patron saint of Showtime but not L.A. style, right, of like of like dunkitudinality, right, uh, you know, Phi Slamma Jamma and whatnot, right? The notion of basketball as a like high-flying, dunking, glorious pursuit, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so Michael Jordan embodies all of this as a scorer, a dunker, an aggressive player with a great vertical leap, right, um, who, who is the first option all the time, always, Right. Um, and and so you expect Bugs Bunny to pass him the ball, to dunk the ball from half court if he needs to. And there's this argument, right, that LeBron James is LeBron James better than Michael Jordan. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and and sorry, I, this is not interesting to you at all. I apologize um, because it's not really about Space Jam, but it is. But the thing is, by the time you get to LeBron James, the game is transformed again. It's mm-hmm. not about whether he's better than Michael Jordan, because LeBron James does a whole bunch of things on the floor that were not called upon for players to do in the era of Michael Jordan because guys as tall and athletic as LeBron James were harder to come by, right? And and also just because, like, skills were more specialized, right? So, like, the guy who's really good at passing the ball is the guy who passes the ball. The guy who's really good at shooting the ball is the guy who shoots the ball. The guy who's good at everything does the thing he's best at, mm, right? Mm-hmm. But nowadays, and in the age of LeBron, if you're good at multiple things, you need to maximize each of those dimensions in your game all the time. And if there's any case for LeBron James being better than Michael Jordan, it has to be from his overall play, right? It has to be from the fact that LeBron James, more than anybody else in his echelon of player, passes first, Right. Mm. More often. Right. Passes the ball like like when 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 LeBron James won the NBA championship last year. Right. He credited his center and power forward colleague to Anthony Davis, who's much younger than he is. And is like it's Anthony's team. Right. Mm. It's A.D.'s team. A.D. is plays the brow in this movie, the evil vulture robot. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, who's kind of computer. He's like, it's his team. It's it. I'm sort of passing. I want to pass the torch to him and I want him to lead the Lakers to a whole bunch more championships. Mm. So so what? And so the reason I'm saying all of this is that the whole basketball energy of this movie, which is that LeBron James is harshing everybody else's fun and is not letting and does not want to let anyone else control the game and is not like dishing off to other people to like maximize their talents is not how LeBron James plays basketball. Yeah. And and that I think is why the movie's basketball sequences feel lost. Because because it's like, oh, is LeBron James going to be like Michael Jordan where he has to go and dunk? 
And it's like, no, you know what happens in that scene where LeBron James gets like triple freaking teamed when he's going to dunk during the crazy glitch mm. and his son is in the corner? He dishes to his son for the corner three. That is exactly what LeBron James would do is he would pass the ball. Right. But for whatever reason in this movie, he doesn't pass the ball. And I think that that's the big misunderstanding of basketball that makes this movie really not able to contribute much, I think, from a basketball standpoint. Well, that's to these a, other stories. Yeah, that's that's interesting because like, yeah, you have you have this person trading on his name like, you know, he, yeah, that like they use his name, they use his nicknames, they use his. Um, I, I mean, actually, we, we could do a whole, whole thing about, uh, about King James and the, the, you know, early 17th century and the, the translation of the Bible. Right. <laughs> like we, we could do a whole episode. In fact, that's next week. I'm overthinking it. The, but, um, he's playing. So he's playing like Mr. Good Basketball Man, but he's not playing LeBron James, even though his character is named LeBron James. Right. Yes. And he's, he's, playing like Mr. Uninvolved Father, right? But he's not playing LeBron James, even though his character is named LeBron James and has children, you know, much in the manner that the actual LeBron James has children. Um, You know, you get this, like, because it's not even, like, it's not even sort of consonant with his brand identity where he's, you know, very socially engaged. He's, you know, very hip to a lot of different things. You, you get the sense, you know, you get the sense at least from his, from his public image that, you know, he, he would strive to be an attentive and like a, a very attuned father, you know, and not would a, hope, right. You know, well, yeah, yeah, I mean, you'd hope that you'd hope that for everybody, but like his, you know, like I don't know his whole thing about like the the various kinds of things that he does to to sort of lift a lift a community up like that is um you know that I don't know that's when even as a non basketball fan I mean of course I know who LeBron, LeBron James are and the, these are the parts of his public persona that I am um that I am you know aware of and so like you know. So, so yeah, it, what, what you're saying is, is interesting. Like they, they have, they have the man himself. They have, um, you know, his own performance as himself. You know, they have his name, but, but you're saying in some fundamental way, uh, they don't kind of have him in the, yeah. uh, in the film, which is, yeah, which is an interesting thing. Interesting ontological, yeah. um, sort of conundrum there. Yeah. So another another example is that LeBron James's most famous son is his eldest son, Bronny James, uh-huh. who is a top high school basketball prospect. Uh-huh. Um, as I recall, I think Bronny like appear or like somebody playing. I don't know which of the people in this movie playing members of LeBron James's family are actually his family or not. I know his wife is played by the actress from Orange is the New Black, which is a little jarring because I thought because in because in Space Jam, I think it's Michael Jordan's actual kids. But at any rate, LeBron James has a son who's really good at basketball. He is playing basketball against his other son. Are we really supposed to believe that his eldest son is like not going to be involved in this game? Right. Like if if it's a game about LeBron James and being a father, Bronny James isn't even in it. It just it just baffles me. It just uh-huh. it, it just baffles me in terms of like. You didn't set out to do you, you need to recognize why we should recognize why LeBron James. It's not like whether he's better or worse than Michael Jordan. He's on a different continuum from Michael Jordan. Uh-huh. He's doing his own thing. So, like, if you want to make a blown out, absurdist, you know, cartoonish, 
you know, uh, soaring R&B soundtrack version of LeBron James, like identify those core features that get people excited about him or that identify him in public and like blow them out. Right. Um, but instead it, 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 but Space Jam doesn't do that. Space Jam and New Legacy, uh, utilizes LeBron James for its story. Right. But not, but doesn't, doesn't, there's not enough LeBron, it, which is so strange because he, it has like four different roles sort of in different costumes and stuff. Um, and, and is the center of the movie. Sure. Uh, but Don Cheadle is really the center of the movie. But anyway, yeah, anyway. Th- no, I think that I, yes, I think that's, I think that's right. Um, the, and, and, but, to, but to a certain extent, he's almost too strong. Like LeBron, mm. if, uh, as an actor, right? Like yeah. if, if he had really been just bad or, or good enough to kind of like stand there and say his lines, you yeah. know, and let Don Cheadle do all the work and all the, the scenery chewing and all the, you know, um, stuff to kind of make the stakes of the movie happen. Um, it, it, it that would have been one thing and it would have been adequate. But the fact that he, the, the fact that he's actually all right, you know, like yeah. makes it kind of gives lie to that plan yeah. in, in, in a funny way. Um, I, I had a, sorry, Pete, I, I, oh, no, are we, are we putting else. the, are we, yeah, okay. I, I didn't know if there was, this if there is was a more rich tapestry, there. man. And it's, and we should talk about things about the movie that we liked also. And no, it was yeah, funny. I, mean, I think that's like, so in one of the things that like, w- one of the, the, <laughs> Um, the movie seems to be organized at the, at the beginning around a kind of a central set of oppositions, right? One of them is between jocks and nerds. Uh, it's there, but it's, you know, the computer people and the athletics people. Um, another one of them that's interesting is the opposition between play and work. Right. And every, he says, uh, the, the character of LeBron James, who is not LeBron James, but is played by LeBron James, says at the beginning of the movie to his son as his son is like distracted while he's you know shooting free throws on their family's uh nice basketball court in their backyard um they he's uh he's saying to him um everything that happens within these four lines you know is work uh and and what does that mean well in in the like the sort of flashback scene that started the film LeBron had to like throw, decided to throw away his Game Boy because playing the video games was making him, uh, you know, was, was sapping his focus and making him not perform his best on, on the court. And the, you know, this, this was kind of an absolutist thing. There was no room even in his downtime for these video games. In fact, there was sort of no room for downtime. You know, it was, uh, it was work. Um, you know, which, which, you know, regardless of the, the resemblance to his actual biography, like it's very, it's very exaggerated here, right? And it comes, he comes across as a real hard ass in, in the film. So you think that this, this thing of like work versus play is going to be, it's going to be important, you know? And this like, um, uh, you know, this, this sort of thing of like fun versus serious or like winning versus like the, I don't know, a kind of you know, superiority versus victory to use the Fenzelian terms for it. You think it's going to engage these other, uh, these other kind of related continua that are, you know, that, that roughly orbit the same, the same discourse, but it, it, it really doesn't. <laughs> no, like it no. doesn't, it doesn't cash out. Um, any of the things that, 
uh, it doesn't cash out any of the things that, that it's, it's trying to do. But then like, so the, um, there is, there are though odd purity discourses kind of like tangential to the film. One is about like, oh, it's, it's all fundamental basketball. It's not about tricks or style points or any of those things that you do in the, in the video games that like get you power ups or extra points. Like this, this is sort of grim, you know, and it's, uh, it's like, uh, it's about a kind of a, a mastery of and like flawless execution of the fundamentals. Um, Okay, so so that's one. The other one is Bugs being like the the Looney Tunes belong here, you know. They belong here in the on the like the Tune Planet, which represents that like continuity of that uh, that franchise, right? They they belong in Looney Tunes properties. They belong in the Looney Tunes context, and you know, it, there's there's a kind of heresy, you know, involved in what all the tunes have done since the last space jam movie leave the looney tunes uh property um leave the looney tunes planet and go off into all of these other ones and do loony yeah. things do loony things as uh um do loony things in in those other things so like the looney tunes belong in the looney tunes you know and that like the, the there should not be there not should not be genre or um or franchise integration you know uh there should not be brand extensions yeah. there shouldn't be leveraging of intellectual property assets right and like syn- synergies and that shouldn't yeah yeah and that so and this is another sort of purity discourse and it's tangential it's not said outright but it it's implied by some of the ways bugs acts in the like the early the kind of early second act of the movie and that's that's interesting and then the last thing i thought that that was interesting was that just think for a second about um think for a second about the idea that all the intellectual property owned by warner brothers now owned by discovery um all this ip from Casablanca to, I mean, I keep bringing that up. That's, that's the classic movie that I remember, but like classic King Kong, uh, mm-hmm. all the, I mean, the, the Danny DeVito penguin is on the sidelines in the game, not played by Danny DeVito, played by a, played by a lookalike. Mr. Freeze is on the sidelines in the game, not played by Arnold, but, but, but like the blue, you know, the blue bald headed character is on the sidelines, right? Like the, so the, the, like the Michael Keaton to, Val Kilmer to George Clooney Batman continuity the uh the um the Mad Max continuity yeah. that all of these things are stored kind of side by side right they're they're represented visually as a kind of solar system with different planets representing the the continuities Game of Thrones another yes. one um <laughs> you know nice what games. actually yeah. like the the uh the West Wing would would also be in this mm-hmm. uh, thing owned by you know Warner Television, though uh, though broadcast on NBC back in the day. Uh, that all these things are are sort of stored in in a database in a like a filing system where they all live, right? And you know, here you put in a database things that are alike, 
right? You put in a database things that have the same form. You know, a database could contain like bank transactions, for example, and a a transaction has a time and a date. It has a payer and a payee. It has a, uh, you know, an amount of debit or credit, right? Like, and, and your database contains these data. Uh, and they're all, they're all sort of formed the same way. And, and to the st- to the extent that they are all formed the same way, they're all in some sense equivalent as a data item in this, you know, in this particular system, right? So just by the setup, I, I, I there's a long way around the, the barn to make the point that I, that I want to make. Um, but just by the setup, w- what this film is saying, right? Is that all IP is fungible? <laughs> you, you know, that they're all, they're all sort of the same. Um, and that, that like to, to the extent that they are, you know, to the extent that they are stores of value or to the extent that they are kind of stores of emotion or stores of like a brand promise or, you know, stores of personal experience that has meaning. Um, to you that is you know significant source of significance in in any way you know to to the extent that they are a sign that they you know that they are a, a signifier of value they're all a signifier of value in if not the same way just as your bank transactions are not all the same in equivalent ways to the extent that they are all that they are all sort of fungible ip in this in this sort of galaxy system of the, of the Warner's of the Warner's universe. And when you think about the, the complicated set of corporate, uh, you know, maneuvers from the, the acquisition of AOL, you know, through to, through to the, the more recent stuff um, with uh, the, the merger talks overseen by Steve McQueen, um, staring down from a portrait on the wall, which was like the one detail, uh, the one detail that the Times put in their absolute hand job of a business piece that they gave to this particular, uh, that they gave to this particular merger. Um, like when you think of that, it's all so contingent and none of it has anything to do with the actual content of, of the, uh, the actual content of the, um, the, the works themselves, the, the pieces of art, <laughs> you know, let's not forget. And I don't know the idea that there is, there is an odd tension between that view, which is the, you know, view that's aligned with the material reality of how, uh, big entertainment companies operate now. Um, that, that, uh, that material reality like is at odds with the purity discourse of the idea that there is a, an inherent looney tunesiness um you know and that it its purity must be maintained and these people can't they they can't all go off making movies like space jam because it's uh it's a, a kind of sacrilege right and i think you're you're appropriate to talk about sacrilege cuz and i want to i want to take this tension to another level because i do think that this oh, did movie... you get a power up, Pete? Are you going <laughs> to vault, vault high in the air? 
Yes, yes, I got a power up from from the from 11th century theology, right? So so it seemed to me like this was an exercise in ransom theory, right? So and, and now, Pete, just- obviously, I know what that is, obviously, <laughs> but. But for the listeners who might not, would you uh, just unfold that a little bit for us? Sure. And this will be my definition. You could go and read a bunch of the old, all written in Latin, right, ideas around Christian theology that would uh, articulate this idea. But I, I will first say what it is on the surface, and then I will give my take on what I think it, it implies that is so difficult to, to deal with, right, um, in terms of like – this shows up in literature. This shows up in culture. People talk about it, but it isn't too commonly discussed as a religious concept anymore for reasons that should be obvious. So ransom theory is the idea that when that that Adam and Eve sinned right in the beginning of the Bible and this sin, you know, damns all of humanity and uh, and and that uh, God offers his son as a ransom. For humanity, right, as a cost that needs to be paid, mm. right? Now, the thing that makes this tricky is that there is some sort of rules to this universe, right, that supersede God in this situation, mm-hmm. right? And it's almost like it's like the narratives in these kinds of theology, the, the- theological arguments are like God tries to explain, look, this is just how it is. Somebody has to die. Right. The the wages of sin are death. It's not me. Right. It's just the way it is. Right. Um, and he wouldn't say it's not me, but it would be like this is the way the universe works. Right. Or, the you know, which is, uh, you know, the wages of sin are death. Sure. And someone has to pay it. And I love you so much that I'm going to give my only son to pay it for you. Right. And that's one of the ways of describing a, a Christ sacrifice, particularly in a medieval sort of theology. And. I would I this felt this movie. So what happens in this movie near the end is that it it presents one allegory and then bait and switches for a completely different and crazy allegory, uh-huh. which is about what the movie is really about. Right. Which is, I think you've hit the nail on the head as to what the movie is really about, which is it's about the fungibility of intellectual property. Right. Like it's a it's it's not about jamming and it's not about space. It's about space jam and who owns it. Right. Um, In that you think this is going to be a movie about technology and the sort of inevitability of the development of technology is to alienate families from each other. Right. And the sort of older parents who can't keep up are going to lose their children. Sure. And there's and And, there's going to be some sort of Hegelian synthesis along the way where where we can have our video games and our families as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's the solution. Right. It's going to be squared. The circle is going to be squared somehow, you know, through the course of the film. Through the reconciliation of the old and the young, we arrive at a synthesis where human beings are able to persist in this world. That's what it looks like it's going to be when LeBron James offers to, you know, Goku himself for Gohan, mm-hmm. right? And like, you know, I will win this game. I will glitch myself out. I will risk, uh, you know, dying or being stuck here or whatever it is would happen to me because A, I want to save my family and my son and B, it's the right thing to do and see like I've sure. sort of come to appreciate that this computer stuff is important. But then Bugs Bunny robs LeBron James of this, yes. right? 
And then this goes to that whole other weird emotional plot of Bugs Bunny's secret emotional life and his nostalgia, his belief that the Looney Tunes past adventures are worth something that doesn't seem to be demonstrated by the way that the universe currently works. Yep. Right. And so the idea here is that all of the IP is fungible. All of the little worlds are all in the sort of similar orbits. None of them is better than any of the others. And they all just sort of show up in a big mass to see what's going to be synergized and what's what what is the algorithm, right, played by Don Cheadle, uh, decide, you know, to do. And and Bugs is holding on to the faith that there's something special about the Looney Tunes. Right. And the, and and what it feels to me is that Warner, if Warner Brothers in this story is God, which I think they think they are, right, um, in this, of, of all of this intellectual property, sort of the sort of superior authority to the Don Cheadle algorithm is the Warner Brothers stewardship of its cinematic, you know, gems. And it's it's uh, great. You know, that's what makes up Warner Brothers better than Disney. Right. Is like, you know, we have the great films. Right. And what do they have? Snow White. Right. We have Casablanca. What do they have? Academy Award nominated Beauty and the Beat and Coco. <laughs> Whatever. Um, you know, it's 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 all it's all like it's all sort of like glassy eyed teleprompter Brad's Brad Pitt Award presentation speeches at the Oscars. But but this idea that like WB loves the Looney Tunes. Film. Everybody loves film, the Looney Tunes. Film is the global campfire around <laughs> which we all huddle, our hands outstretched for warmth. But there is a cost that needs to be paid because the world is moving forward and is being disrupted and changed and the Looney Tunes are being carried with it. And the cost needs to be borne by somebody. Mm -hmm. And Bugs Bunny steps forward and says, you know, the cost will be paid by me. The Looney Tunes will continue to be uniquely beloved among the otherwise fungible uh, 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 assets. They will be returned to their home and they will be permitted to be loony in their own way as see fit. And the cost is that I will die. Right. And, and I am the most precious and most beloved of the Looney Tunes. And so my blood should pay the debt. Right. Is, that's how it reads to me. I'm not really joking. Right. Like like there is a mo like there's a Pieta in this movie where Lola Bunny is cradling the head of dying Bugs Bunny with his ears flopped down around him. And there's just like a saint's collection of the Looney Tunes around him mm-hmm. to kind of witness in gratitude his act of sacrifice yep. to return them all to their home. Yep. Right. And so I think it's about this. I think it's about this uh, sort of tension that you frequently see um, in corporate cultures between uh, knowing what you need to do in the current environment to be successful, Mm. but externalizing it to the agency of the environment because it runs so counter to your own personal values. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, but then at the same time, like, for example, lay a lot of people off. Yeah, well, exactly. Right. It's like, well, we don't want to. We care about everybody. But listen, the wages of sin are death. Right. Like it's a disruptive world. Everybody, you know, like people have to be leaner. You have to do more with less. I didn't make it this way. Right. You know, like and and it's like I didn't make it this way, but I love you so much. I will murder Bugs Bunny so that you get to keep your job. Well, Pete, I want to read you some words, uh, which I will alter only slightly. I don't say he's a great man. Bugs Bunny never made a lot of money. His name was never in the paper in the universe. He's not the finest character that ever lived, but he's a human being. He's, but he's a bunny <laughs> and a terrible thing is happening to him. So attention must be paid. 
He's not to be allowed to fall into his grave like an old dog. Attention. Attention must finally be paid to such a person. You called him crazy. No, a lot of people think he's lost his balance. But you don't have to be very smart to know what his trouble is. The bunny is exhausted. A small bunny can be just as exhausted as a great bunny. He worked for a company 36 years. Uh, how a loony to He worked for a company 80 years this July. Opens up unheard of territories to their trademark. And now in his old age, they, they take the uniqueness of his IP away. Those words were written by Arthur Miller about Bugs Bunny. And... Uh, <laughs> A man is not a, a, a man. A man is not a piece of. I mean, man. Man is not an apple. <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, they, yeah. this is like it's death of a salesman, right? It is death of a salesman. Yeah. 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 The, the idea. Death, yes. Death, yeah. The wrong way to Albuquerque is yeah. the subtitle. Of that you know, movie. it's funny. Uh, you <laughs> know, play. a lot of a lot of works of art are about you know, the end of an era, right? I mean, they're, they're all really, in some sense, stories are about the end of an era, right? It's about a, a situation of stasis that's interrupted by something. And, you know, in, mm-hmm. in, in the course of the narrative, a new, a new stasis is restored. Like yeah. a new level. The a age new... of elves passes, the age of men is upon us, right? right? Exactly. So, or uh, like, you know, the, uh, we, we, we've left the one diner drive in or dive and arrived at a different. <laughs> <laughs> take up, take up the hobbit's burden. Yes, and, exactly. And the, uh, you know, that's sorry. I'm, I'm uh, we're we're off Man, by about a hundred <laughs> years there. Like this is a real conflation of of history. And I, yeah, w- what you're saying is that you think it's going to be one. You think it's going to be one uh, kind of end of an era story, and it just like with with one pass of a basketball, it turns into a completely different kind of end of end of an era story. And that is, you know, that is that's interesting. You know, attention attention must be paid to such a bunny. For sure, for sure. I'm trying to think of like the examples of this sort of thing happening in fiction. Like like the trope is like the 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 old the old master like oh this is like bruce willis in armageddon right where it's like you think that ben affleck is going to sacrifice himself because he loves Liv tyler so much right and that and that that's going to be what happens that this is going to be a sort of great romance right but it turns out that bruce willis is going to sacrifice himself sure. because he loves Liv tyler so much but right? it, like but it's also like that's that is a that's a little more syntonic with our expectations of like oh yeah, yeah. what a parent is and does for their kid yeah, like you yeah. know you that do would any, be the lebron james solution right, right? exactly you do this any, would be like if in marmageddon like the russian guy is like no i'm going to do it because <laughs> the cosmonauts were the best right like well now we all have to acknowledge it right like that kind of thing yeah yeah, or like if Bugs Bunny just did it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think. In in Starship Troopers, someone dies accidentally, right? Yeah, uh, Dizzy, the character Dizzy, mm-hmm. like uh, gets gets hit by the bugs and uh, dies in in Casper Van Dien's arms, and is like, "It's okay, Johnny Rico, because I got to have you." You know, like, and it is this. Um, I, like there's there's a lot of there's a lot of this like what because what is it it's it's the um the there's a kind of generational inappropriateness though though like you know remember Bugs Bunny is old enough to be LeBron's grandfather twice over 
<laughs> right. And that like, so generationally, I guess we think of the Looney Tunes as being children or at least aligned with childhood so that, you know, we want them to, to, to stay alive. But yeah, the idea, the idea of the, the, um, unfortunate, you know, yeah, the, the sort of, uh, the sacrifice that, the sacrifice that is kind of the wrong person sacrificing, yeah. you know? Um, yeah, like what, like like when Han Solo goes into the Carbonite in Empire Strikes Back, uh, and it's like he's not the one whose era is supposed to be ending, mm-hmm. right? And the sort of "I love you, I know," right? Like, and it's like that's not how it was supposed to be. Um, although again, it's I mean, not not even not even like that. It's because that also was more syn- was the word you used, um, not synchronic, syntonic, syntonic. What does that word mean? It's from psychology. It means like of, it, it means uh, of a personality. It, it means like relating to, to your personality. So you could say that, like, I don't know, being a, um, uh, uh being a concert pianist would be very egocentric to, to my personality because I am, uh, I'm just inclined that way. Whereas being a, uh, being a sales professional would not be an egocentric um, job. So it means like fitting, it means sort of befitting a personality or, or kind of style of, of right, being. Right, right, right. Um, yeah, I was, yeah, I was trying, trying to, th- and, and then this, this interesting, like this, yeah, the, the kind of the history of rationalizations for, um, well, for for a number of things, like it, what you bring up in ran, ransom theory, or like the best of all possible worlds, you know, um, the, the idea of like uh, these these rational, essentially rationalizations for the problem of suffering, right? Are uh, I are interesting here, though I can't, I, I didn't think to make the connection until you just brought it up, and so it is interesting. I mean, it's interesting to to sort of think to to think what it might be, right? Like. You know, I don't know why. Why do we suffer? Like, why does why does algae rhythm uh, suffer? You know, why why um right? Why does why does LeBron suffer? Well, because he's not you know because he's not like uh, having good relationships. He's not being sort of he's not seeing and being seen by the people in his family. Um, mm. What and and the idea of like. Uh, the Don Cheadle character, Al, just wants to be seen as well. Like he just wants to be sort of under understood for like uh understood for what he is, you know? He's a he's a, a paperclip maximizing robot, you know? He's an <laughs> he's an IP maximizing paperclip robot. And he's and he wants to um uh, you know, I don't know. He wants to to maximize the number of paperclips with uh with Warner's IP. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and that like this sort of not being acknowledged for sort of acting for acting in accordance with your nature, you know, and and I say in accordance with your nature uh, as though it's sort of something that's outside of your control as a, you know, it's something that's that's determined by forces, by people or forces who are not you and that you have to kind of square with um, somehow, as Johnny Depp says in uh, in the the uh, the Pirates of the Caribbean Curse of the Black Pearl movie he says you know there there's a law Pete there's a, what a man can do and what a man can't do your father was a pirate and you're going to have to square with that one day you know the 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 sort of the nature of your the the nature of your personality and your, what you're going to have to deal with is is um 
is sort of set. Uh, so, so what it comes down to Pete, I think in the end is this, does your life have a purpose? <laughs> Um, I, I think there's a little more, I think there's, I think there's a little more Leibniz to cash out. <laughs> okay. Right, let's talk about, let's talk about, yeah, let's talk about Leibniz in the best of all possible worlds. Right. So, so the, the, the fulcrum on which the notion of the best of all possible worlds, as I understand it, this theory rests is the principle of sufficient reason, right? Gottfried is, Wilhelm Leibniz from Leipzig. So, so let <laughs> Allow me to explain this in the context of Space Jam 2, mm-hmm. right? like using Space Jam 2 as an analogy, right? So why does algae rhythm suffer in Space Jam? Algae rhythm suffers because when he comes up with good stuff, like stuff that he thinks that people will like, right? Uh, and, he, and he does his job and fulfills his purpose. He sort of lives within his telos. You would think he would achieve a state of eudaimonia, right? A sort of virtue of having kind of moderately fulfilled what he needs to fulfill. But there's this pitch that needs to happen, right? So anything that he does is subject to a pitch experience wherein the Warner Holding Company chooses or doesn't choose to adopt his his uh, his decisions, right? Um, and I would even venture to say also that like Lil LeBron, right? That that Dom that Dom uh, James who is trying to make the video game. Right. The 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 thing that is a problem for him in terms of making him suffer is that at some point he needs to submit the video game for the approval of his father, mm. which is not really going to be something that's going to work out in his interests. Now, what you could suggest here, and this, I think, ties back to the notion of of a of a two headed forward looking and backward looking media empire that both sees itself as uniquely beloved of its non-fungible IP and also as like the chief agent and beneficiary of the fungibility of its IP, right? Like um, it, it has to make a choice of what to do. It has to figure out what to do next. And, it, and I think it, when you go to Leibniz, right, and the sort of principle of sufficient reason, the idea is that, okay, there's an infinite number of possible universes. We're going to assume that that God has a good reason for choosing to do the things that he does. We don't know, or she does. I mean, Leibniz would be him, right? Um, uh, because this is an old, old theory and, and pretty retrograde. Um, but but the idea that, like, they, right, uh, whatever, what, we, we don't know why God would choose to do things. We shouldn't pretend to know why God would choose to do things if you don't know. But we can extrapolate from the idea that God does things for the right reasons, that God has a reason, like a sufficient reason to choose. So, for example, you know, a, a good example to illustrate this in real life would be like, oh, why do people age, right? And it's like, well, if we didn't age, we would die of cancer, Right. Um, very like much faster, right? But like if that were a sort of trade off, right? And it's like, well, you know, and if we didn't do this, we wouldn't be able to be biological. And if we didn't do this, then like we couldn't live on this planet, right? And it's like, well, can't God just do anything? And it's like, well, God, in this sort of argument of reason, right? It's like, well, God had a sufficient reason to pick specifically the thing that they picked. And in much the same way, Warner Brothers has a reason to decide not to make Don Cheadle's LeBron James media empire happen. Mm. They have a sufficient reason to do it. But the tension between the world that Don Cheadle can imagine and the world that exists because of the sufficient reason of Warner Brothers, even if Warner Brothers attests to it being the best of all possible Warner Brothers worlds because they made the decisions for the right reasons, that is a genus of suffering. Right. 
The mm. idea that like and then to extend it to Dom, it's like, OK, why does Dom even need the approval of his father? His father's a basketball player. Why does he care? Well, his father has to approve of him going to camp. Right. His father makes important decisions for him. Right. Like he like like everything a child does has to at some point be brought to the attention of adults mm -hmm. if it wants to be marked forward in a particular way. And why? Because if it wasn't, it wouldn't be able to make that transition into being in the adult world. Like like a child moving into the adult world is moving into the world of adults. And as such, a, a collision with an adult is a thing that is necessary to happen for this to take place. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, like, you could argue that that's a principle of sufficient reason for Dom having to show his video game to his dad. Uh, mm. Thus, and that itself being a a and as potential for the cause of suffering, um, despite of course this story being flawless, mm -hmm. um, and of course I'm thinking that with that there's a sort of bad faith argument here that, or maybe even an earnest and sad argument here that everything is perfect, right? That this is just the way it's supposed to. That the end of Space Jam, a new legacy is the way everything is supposed to work out. Mm -hmm. LeBron James and Bugs Bunny are supposed to be roommates, but not wacky ones, just like regular roommates, right? Like that live in California, right? Like, like, like that's, that's what's supposed to happen. Mm. Um, I mean, I don't know. Does any of that strike? I just talked way too much. about. No, this, that, I mean, I think that, that the idea that like, this is the, this is the way it has to be is something that I think you get in Leibniz, right? Like the, the, at least my, my high school understanding of the idea of the theory of the best of all possible worlds was that like, God could not create a perfect world, uh, because God can't create God because God is already God and yeah. God is not created or creatable, you know, or clonable, duplicate, duplicable. Right. Um, and so, yeah, Warner brothers can't make another Casablanca, right? They have the one they have. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, and that's you know, and um, I mean they can make it again, but you know what I mean. They can't make another one that another thing that is a Casablanca notionally. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so. That yeah, and that way you know, um, so you have to you know, uh, so so you have to sort of understand, you have to sort of understand the world as being like correct the way it is. So the whole thing is is the uh, is just a huge apologia for. The, the series of corporate mergers that have I think led that's us what to it is. I think that's what yeah. it is. I think it's that Don Cheadle is saying, like, don't you realize these aren't the right decisions for marketing your products? And Warner Brothers is like, we made the decisions we made for good reasons. <laughs> right? Like we Adam West is in the crowd there, right? Like that's what it is. <laughs> Nobody yeah. cares about Adam West anymore. You know, we have a legacy at this company and it means something to us. Yeah. Right. Um Somebody cares enough about it to pay money. We probably are incorrect in attributing like the full leadership and power in this relationship to Discovery Plus. Uh, but it is funnier that way uh, <laughs> that it's like Discovery is just going to own all these people. Right. They're just going to it's going to be like, oh, man, you know, get Batman. The Batcave is going to be full of Magnolia furniture. Right. And like uh, it's just going to be. Um, I mean, I don't know. I feel like they could do a, uh, they could do a, a thing. And, and, you know, now yeah. it, however, it is a fixer upper, I guess. <laughs> how, however ghoulish it is, you can, you can CGI generate a, a version of Adam West from a, a deep fakes of his, you know, performance <laughs> as Batman and, and have him host a, uh, have him host a, a mid century modern, you know, it's very on trend, right? He does all the, the mid mod remodels. Um, you, that would, if we had, 
if we had Batman era Adam West millionaire playboy Bruce Wayne hosting a home renovation show on Discovery yep. Plus yep. <laughs> due to the power of computer generated, honestly, like I think the Spaceman, the Space Jam three script just wrote itself. Yeah, I think that's that's let's just go full Dada. That's amazing. I love it. Love it. Well, it's coming on the new on the new Magnolia Network available on <laughs> Discovery on Discovery yes. Plus. All right, I think we I think we have to leave it there, Pete. We've I've, we've done uh, we've done philosophy. We've done. Uh, uh, theology. We've done narratology. We've done uh, corporate, uh, you know, hierarchy. Um, I think all the major, all the major subjects of the trivium and the quadrivium are are covered yes. in this episode. Right. So, uh, thank you very much for for listening, and thanks, Pete, for for speaking with me uh, about the surprisingly intricate and naughty uh, Space Jam, a yes. new. A new legacy. All right. Let us know what you think about uh, this film or uh, anything we've said in in the comments. We would uh, love to hear from you. We'll be back next week with more Overthinking It podcasts. Till then, visit us on the web at overthinkingit.com, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It, it probably, probably doesn't. <laughs> Deserve tarnation. So there's one thing I can't figure out about this movie, man. What's that? Why isn't R. Kelly in it? <laughs> oh, to, to sing to sing Gotham City from the from the Keaton era of Batman? Yeah, that's yeah. a that's a great question.